Guys, happy Friday. I am so extra, extra excited because my guest is someone that I truly admire. I've been following his work, I think, ever since I was a kid. And when I found out he's a very successful life coach, I was like, oh my God, I have to have him in. Before we start, let me introduce you, Randy Spelling. Hi, Randy. Hi, Kat. Thank Hi, you. Thank you so much for being on Cat on the Loose. Absolutely. It's so such an it's such an Ready honor. Day, like I said. <laughs> yes, right to GIF. <laughs> uh, so I as I was telling you before I got started, I got over 300 questions from you. I try to cram that into maybe 12 or 15. Let's rock and roll if you're ready to put as much information as possible because apparently you have a lot of funds all over the world. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So for most of, most people know uh, that you were born into Hollywood royalty, right? I grew up watching her dad's shows. For those of you who live under a rock, his dad was one of the most famous TV producers in the world, if not the most famous TV producer of all times. Uh, and you were born into this family of wealth, of luxury, of money. We're going to talk about all of that. The mansion that you grew up in. Uh, so you were born in Hollywood. So the first question, Dina from Long Island said, let's start there. Let's like rewind the tape and so we get here so people understand your work. Dina from Long Island sent this question and a lot of people send the same question. Did you feel a lot of pressure growing up with such a famous father, Aaron Spelling, and or pressure from your family in general that you felt you needed to work in the entertainment industry? Yes, I don't know if it, I don't know if I would describe it as pressure to have to work in the entertainment industry. My parents never said, you have to do this. They really left it up to me. My sister Tori always wanted to be in entertainment. So that was easy for her. Uh -huh. For me, um, I didn't want to be in front of the camera, but I think it's natural, you know, to see your father and someone who's successful. So uh, I said, well, I want to be a, a producer. <laughs> I just want to do what my dad does. Right. And then there was just this unspoken idea that, there's this bubble of Hollywood. How could you do anything else? Exactly. Because yeah. There's so much glamour and <laughs> you, you get, you know, acknowledged and kind of put on a pedestal. So the ego part of me at some point when I got older was like, Oh, of course I should do this because this is where I'm going to be successful and famous. And I didn't consider much else because of my family of origin and living in Hollywood. Yeah, but let's, so give us the, like the, because as outsiders, okay, we are not in that bubble. Uh, I grew up in, in LA, by the way, my dad was a TV producer, but like nothing, nothing, nothing compared to your father. My father was more like music videos, TV commercials, da, 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 da. So I know for me, uh, as a kid, it was like, oh my God, it was just work. I'm on this TV sets. I'm on this movie sets. I can't believe I'm doing this. For me, as a kid, I saw that as work, not as something I wanted to do. So a lot of people send the same question. They have this curiosity. You ended up working as an actor at some point, right? Uh, I did. Were yes. you following? But did you feel like it's something I want to try to do? Or did you feel like, in my case, for example, my father basically threw me in there. You just go and work. Did you feel right. pressure or maybe you felt like 
uh, your sister, like you said, she was a natural at it. I'm going to try the same. How was it for you? Yes. So for me, uh, I did not want to be in front of the camera, like I said. Uh-huh. And when Beverly Hills 90210 uh, first started, and then I think it was a year, maybe two in when it got popular, uh, my dad said, well, just try just try. Okay. I'm going to make a little tiny part for you as a cabana boy. And I had one line, do you want me to go get Henry? Really? Yeah. And I remember it was summertime. I wanted to play with my friends. I had to go on set. We waited around all the time. But then I would go up and say the line, you know, 30 times. And then they'd have to cut to a different angle and I'd have to say it again. And at that age, I just didn't want anything to do with it. And I remember going home and saying, nope, I don't. I don't like it. That's I don't want to do it. Yeah. Not for me. How old were you, Randy, when you did the Beverly Hills 90210 episode? 13. 13, yeah, because I remember, obviously, I grew up watching it. I watched every single episode, like most teenagers in the United States and in the world. Um, and I remember when you came in. Do you think your dad gave you a tiny part? Because a lot of people criticize kids of producers, right? Of famous people like nepotism. His daughter is there. His son is there just because he's like writing the show. Do you think he gave you a tiny part so people didn't criticize you and him? Or do you think he gave you a tiny part to make it easy for you? How was that? No, I think... If anything, he would have to struggle with people talking about nepotism. So I think the only reason why he did it is because, A, he could, (laughs) and B, he probably wanted me to try to see if I would be interested. Mm -hmm. Naturally, this is his business. This is his world. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's fair to say, hey, you know, give my kids a shot and see if they like it. Yeah. I remember fighting so hard against nepotism. Tori got a lot of that. Um, and for me, I I kind of circumvented it a little bit. I kind mm-hmm. of just sidestepped it. Uh, but the, it was there. And yeah. I remember casting directors would say all the time, wow, you know, you surprised me. You're actually pretty good. I didn't think you were going to be good because you're Aaron <laughs> Spelling's son. Yeah. <laughs> so Kat, you know, the, but the nepotism thing, it's I think, there, is right? really yeah. silly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny because you have uh, a family of doctors and, you know, if they can make an in for their child to work at the hospital, people aren't shouting out nepotism I everywhere. Know. If you're a mechanic, right, and you yeah. own uh, um, an auto shop and then all of a sudden the kid starts working there, there's no nepotism being thrown around. But for some reason in the industry, especially back then, it's this big idea of like, oh, nepotism, that's kind of taboo, but why? Exactly. Oh my God, one million percent. And actually, yesterday I was just reading that Gwyneth Paltrow made this comment like, uh, kids of famous people, yeah, we get our food in the door, which is great, but she feels like you guys have to try double as hard as like a normal person because everybody's looking. At it. And she got a ton of like, nasty nasty criticism about it people were calling her out on twitter and everything but i kind of agree with her of course in one hand you're super lucky that you're there but you just have to be proving yourself proving yourself because everybody's staring at you like saying oh he's there because his dad is famous right that was kind of like the next question sorry let me squeeze that in because i promised i was gonna tell people like their names for a shout out matthew smith jones all the way from london said I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan of of your dad. And that was the question. 
Do you think your last name helped you or always made things harder for you? Both. Both. It has to be both, right? I, it helped me to get representation. It's very easy to get an agent back when, you know, my, <laughs> my father was alive and in the high years, like, oh, sure, we'll represent Randy. So there were things that were easier, much easier to get into a club when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old in Los Angeles. But the downside was I had huge shoes to fill. Everyone had expectations and the spotlight was on because I think there are a lot of people who are like, oh, we want him to fail or we don't want him to be good. Oh, yes. So I felt a ton of pressure in that way to rise above people's expectations. And it's hard when you look around and know, wow, people are really judging me more than anybody else. One million percent. Like I said, I can only imagine because when we hear your dad's name to this day, many, many years after he's gone, I mean, he's an icon, he's a legend. I cannot imagine the pressure for kids to grow up in that atmosphere. And I would guess, unfortunately, it's human nature. A lot of people probably try to get close to you and your sister for the wrong reasons. Did that happen to you? Other than acting like when you went to school in real life, did you feel like you had a lot of fake friends around? He's no, thinking. <laughs> no, I, you're I lucky. <laughs> because, I mean, sure, were there people at times I'm sure, but my close friends, uh, I am an authentic person, so I wanted to feel the authentic friendship. And if someone was just around or hanging on and I could feel that, I wouldn't be friends with them. Okay, so yeah, you're lucky in that sense because I know this industry can be super cutthroat. People see, yes. and we're going to get into that in your work in, in a few minutes, but going down the timeline of your life. Okay. So you did 90210. You said you did one, you did only that one episode of the Cabana Boy? No, no. So then I I didn't act for a few years and there was this one moment I, I talk about this in, in other interviews where we were at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. 90210 was huge. And we were there as a family and my sister and my dad were getting mobbed. I mean literally hundreds of people, security everywhere. Yeah, I can and what imagine. I watched then, and I was about 15. What I watched was people who would otherwise pass each other, never connect, never really look at one another. Now they're shaking and they're hugging and they're smiling and their whole day has changed. Really? By seeing someone. And yeah. in that moment, I didn't know this at the time, but in retrospect, why I, that was so enticing to me uh -huh. was I thought that's powerful. What, what could I do with that? I, I wanted to impact people then and I thought, ooh, I like that. So that coupled with, you know, probably the part of me that wanted more self-worth, wanted to be uh, seen in a different way. I was, you know, 15 and I thought, okay, maybe I want to do this. And shortly after, I mean, a day or two after, I remember being at dinner and telling my, my parents, I think I want to try acting. Okay, so you tried it for a while. So now let's go uh, uh, to the next level of how your life started changing. And again, a lot of people send that question. Uh, Larry, uh, yeah, Larry Sanchez from Houston, Texas. Uh, he said, you were working Beverly Hills, you're working with your family, you're working with your sister, you're like living in this multi-million dollar house. Like you have the world by the balls, so to speak. 
what happened and we read interviews about it you you had episodes with drugs and alcohol correct so what happened that you you lost control and that it's so just tell us the transition that you were like oh my god i need to get out of this life yeah i you know i think um i was always searching for my place so big picture here take away the the bigness and the house and the money because I think we all want to think that that's the magic pill that fixes everything but deep down we know that you know right. you can get that and still be unhappy oh yeah so I was searching for purpose I was searching for who am I I was an ultra sensitive kid I could feel other people's emotions and I had no idea what to do with that or how to navigate that so I think you know for me that caused some problems. I'm sure there were a lot of things unspoken that I didn't say that I wanted to say when I was little. Um, I wasn't great at expressing myself and dealing with things. And so that built up. And I think that led me, you know, I was searching for what's going to make me fulfilled. I was always seeking. I was a voracious reader by the time I was 18, studying meditation and metaphysics and psychology. And I just wanted to know Uh, who I was and where my place is in this universe. And so that mixed with, you know, all the things that I didn't say and some things that, you know, uh, I was dealing with led to drugs and alcohol, and then I became addicted. And so... So how old were you? You were acting and you decided to try some drugs? No, I started, I mean, I, I had my first drink when I was 13, You know, I saw people in movies drinking when something bad happened, right? Even today, it's like someone gets fired, they go to the bar and drink. <laughs> yes. Right? We're so programmed for that. Yes. And then my friend and I, uh, we were going to have these two girls over to hang out with us one night and they flaked. And so we looked at each other and we said, well, we might as well just go to the bar. And I went downstairs, my parents had a bar and we drank and got drunk. And that, you know, was my first time. And then, you know, I, I lived kind of fast. I was going to rap parties. I was going to different nightclubs and different things early on. So I think this I, life I, gives you access to a lot of things early on as well, right? I had access and exposure. Um, and then, you know, creatively, I was, I was trying to fulfill myself as an actor. And then I was doing TV. Someone said, you have to do movies to to make it more. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do some feature films. And I remember doing the feature film. I didn't really feel any different. <laughs> and then I went into the music industry because I thought I'll carve my path there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had my partner and I, I remember I had my feet up on the desk and I was saying, okay, you know, now I have this company and, and I didn't feel any different. So I kept searching, 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 filling this void and filling this yeah. void with external substances Until, so you were doing um, drugs and alcohol during, you were like a teenager and you're acting, but you're doing drugs. No, I didn't really start doing drugs. I mean, I think I smoked pot when okay. I was 15 or 16. Oh, that's, that's kind of normal. I doing drug, yeah. drugs, I think until 18. And then it really got bad around 20, 21. Okay. So how did you figure it out? Like, okay, this is really bad. And then you, you decided to change your life because a lot of people out there, you know, many people send this question. 
it's easy because now they see you and you're a successful life coach. You have amazing insight. We're going to get into that, guys, in a minute. But when you're in Hollywood and, again, you're like acting, your dad is powerful, la, 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 la. People say, well, but it's easy for you to say, like, oh, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn my life around. But not everybody has the tools or the privilege to do so. So did something happen or you just woke up and said, like, I'm done. How do you make that change? Yeah, I um, I mean, I, I, I got into trouble. I had two DUIs. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, you know, I wound up in the hospital. There were a couple times where I came to consciousness on the street looking up at firemen saying, sir, sir, are you really? okay? I mean, I was at, my friends thought I was going to die. So I, I was at the point where I was kind of at the point of no return. And when my father passed away right around that time, I remember I just fell to my knees one night late three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I just said, because I had all this spiritual experience at 18 to 20 of, you know, meditation. And I had some real connection and experiences. So I knew that there was more than meets the eye to this physical reality. And I just said, I know that I'm here for more. I feel it in my bones. Mm -hmm. If I'm not, take me out. I'm not going to do it myself. But if I am here for more, help me. I don't know how. I don't know what to do, but help me. And I think asking, literally asking with all my heart and fiber of my being helped put something into motion. And then I went to rehab for the second time. Um, I stopped doing drugs and alcohol. And then it was scary as shit. Yeah. So anyone who says, well, it's so easy. <laughs> right. It was easy because I had the, the money to pay for rehab. But if you look at the statistics of rehab of people who go and stay clean, it's like 13%. Nothing about getting over addiction is easy. True. Nothing about getting over wounds and pains and hurt or any sort of trauma. Nothing about that is easy. So if anyone looks at me now or for anyone and you look in it and you say, oh, well, it must be easy for them. That's work. That is self-work. That is time. Yeah. That is energy. That is willingness. That is fighting days of hopelessness and getting through that. I am so glad you are saying that and you're brave enough to put it all out there because I agree with you. People, especially nowadays because of social media, because of the work we do, they look at us and they say, oh, everything is so easy. It's easy for you to say, la, 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 la. I don't know if you know, Randy, but I was married to an alcoholic for 15 years. I was in an abusive relationship for 15 years. And a lot of people ask me, why did you stay? Why did you? Because like you said, it's, it takes forever and ever and ever sometimes to gather the courage and say, yes. you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to save myself. Whatever situation it is. And you're absolutely right. Most people that go to rehab, many times you go because your family takes you there, because your friends take you there. And then the minute you, you walk out, you do the same crap again. I think it takes like an inner strength, right? It has to be a personal decision to say, I'm going to change my life. So you this, you got to this point, you didn't want to die. You wanted to change your life. You said to yourself and to your family, I'm not going to act anymore. I'm going to change my life. How did you do that transition? Because I want to talk about your work after you explain the transition. Yeah. So with the transition, um, so interesting thing, when you become addicted to something or you really start using something heavily to medicate in some way is what I find with a lot of people is you, you stunt yourself emotionally. So when I stopped this, 
I was like a 13 year old boy in a 26 year old body. I was like, oh my gosh, how do I have a, how do I have sex? How do I have a relationship? Who, who am I? How everything That's hurts. how I feel now, by the way. I'm like, right, right. I feel like I'm 20 again. I'm learning everything all over again. And people yes. are like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, well, because for 15 years, I lived like in this crazy universe, you know? You have right. to learn everything all over again, right? You do. You really do. So then I started saying, who do I want to be? What do I want to do here? And I said, you know what? I, there were some things that happened right around the time that I was... Um, Uh, when I got clean and I was like, Ooh, I the entertainment business. I don't know. I don't think this is for me. I want to go a different route. I want to help people. Someone suggested life coaching. I signed up for, uh, you know, it was about a year, year and a half long course. And I, I just thought I'll study because they're great tools. I was already going to therapy. I was doing some spiritual work and I thought these are great tools. And then in the, in the, In the course, they said, well, you need to coach as many people as possible. And I had a mentor and I had to work with people. So I started working with people. And through the process of working with people, it, there were some moments where, you know, I, I watched that make a difference in people's lives. And there was that connection. It was, it was almost this beautiful montage that you would see on TV where all of the different vignettes of my life and that moment at Caesar's palace where I saw the connection and I thought, Ooh, that's powerful. That person's life can be changed from that moment. I was seeing this in real time with the people that I was working with. And there was just, it was, it was as if there were a row of check marks and it went ding, ding, ding. You found and your call. I really, really like this. Was your family supportive of this major change in careers? Was your dad they still were. I think they were surprised, you know? I think there was um, a moment of, oh, okay, you know, mm -hmm. sure. But, you know, I stayed, I stayed <laughs> with it and I, I built a business yeah. and I built a craft and I worked with people for, a, it's been 15 years yeah. now. <laughs> and you're great at it, by the way. But you lived in, here in LA, in Hollywood, The geography change. What, why was that? Because, uh, uh, wait, let me give him a shout out. Because uh, where is he? Robbie Matthew from Seattle asked you. He read your interview on page six where you explained what you just explained to us. You, act, you thought you were going to die if you stay there. You, you had this car accident. So you said, I'm going to leave Hollywood. And then you got this calling. You decided you should, should try being a life coach. But you physically, geographically moved away. Did you feel that was necessary or did you move away for other reasons? I did feel it was necessary, but it, it wasn't a... I didn't know all the pieces. Just like so many times when we <laughs> make decisions, we want to have everything and figure out what is the exact outcome going to be of this. Yeah. I followed an inner feeling. Uh, the woman I was dating at the time, who's now my wife, She said, you know, how long do you want to live in L.A.? Do you want to live in L.A. forever? Did you meet her in thinking, L.A.? What? You met your wife here in L.A.? I met her in Los Angeles. Okay. She's not from Los Angeles, okay. but she was working there for a couple of years. And it got me thinking, what is really tethering me to L.A.? Yes, I have family there. Yes, I have friends. But I want to know myself beyond what I already know. And I think one of the only ways to do that is to 
find myself somewhere else to get a little bit uncomfortable to start to navigate things that I haven't navigated before mm-hmm. and that was a big impetus to move okay so um, were you afraid did you think maybe if I stay in Hollywood I'm gonna go back to doing what I was doing before do you think you had a little fear of that no I don't think that my decision to move to Portland was based out of fear I think it was based out of excitement and newness and possibility mm-hmm. and kind of like a relationship it just didn't hold what it once did I mean this is where I spent all of my life but as I was starting to find myself I didn't feel that I was necessarily the best fit at that time for Los Angeles I wasn't getting what I needed anymore So it was time to move on. Okay, got it. Before we take a break, one more quick question. Sydney Palmer from New York, uh, you married uh, a civilian, meaning she's not an actress, she's not an actor, she's not in this industry, she's not famous. Was this intentional to your new life? And he also asked, have you dated actresses before? I've dated actresses. I've dated people in the music business. And I've dated people outside of... <laughs> all of it and um, again when you meet someone sort of like Portland called to me right there was uh-huh. this it, it called to me same thing when I met someone it wasn't I'm, I'm never gonna <laughs> date anyone else again in the entertainment industry it was that I met someone she happened to be outside of the entertainment industry and there was this connection that worked and it was a good fit for you so it wasn't like intentional I'm not gonna marry an actress <laughs> no Okay, awesome. I'm going to take a two-minute break, and when we come back, let's jump into your work and ask questions about it, because let's be honest, a lot of people out there need help, and it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from someone like you, and to me, it is very interesting how you, you try to translate your experiences your past life into helping people that may be having similar problems. We'll be right back with Randy Spell, and this is Cat on the Loose. This episode of Cat on the Loose is sponsored by Girly a la Mode, fashion and style for every woman everywhere, regardless of cultural background, race, size, ethnicity, because everybody is beautiful. Shop now the Back to Basics collection with very basic pieces for everyday life, girlyalamo.com. Edge Sports, the number one sports brand on Amazon Prime. Why Edge Sports? Because, hey, guys, dating is a contact sport, isn't it? Shop edgesports.com, where the edge win the game. And Ira on Sports, which is my favorite, one of the top sports podcasts in the nation. If you guys love sports, please check it out. This guy covers everything, every game, everywhere. Ira on Sports. Okay, I'm back with Randy Spell, and we're trying to pack as much as we possibly can into this one-hour episode because you guys bombarded me with questions, so I apologize if I'm not doing all of you. Hopefully, he'll come back for another episode. But during our two-minute break, Randy, you and I are talking about this major stereotype. I get dozens of messages about that, and now I got hundreds of questions for you saying the same thing. It is so easy for you to talk about it. It is so easy for you to say Uh, but it's not, we were just saying, you see the final product, you see the social media, you see, but you don't see the behind the scenes. So can you elaborate on that? 
Yes. So the reason why uh, I was saying, you know, I, I want to address this again. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm a change maker. I'm here to help people grow and shift and change. Yeah. It's not about how I look. If you, you know, want to judge me for anything, by all means, please judge me. That's your prerogative. The idea here, though, is because this is missed. If you're looking at people and saying, well, it's so easy for them, it's so easy for them. Tune in for a moment to how you feel, because what it is, is it's kind of scapegoating saying, well, it's easy for you to say that you have X, Y, Z, which really means I don't have this. I'm not this. You are. So you, you separate from that. And I think what's so difficult about that is you're missing a huge opportunity. It's like my two daughters, mm-hmm. you know, when they're looking at how big the other a slice of cake is on her sister's plate or oh my gosh your apple was bigger than mine or she got more you're focused on someone else not that oh great they're having fruit that is not, such a good analogy we yeah. can all eat uh-huh. it's it's so easy for you to get that and how do they feel inside they feel bad and then that turns into i can't I'm not worth it. It's not easy. It's too hard. And then you don't try mm-hmm. and nothing changes. Yeah. But, well, obviously, social media puts major pressure on people out there. Like we were saying, my social media is work. It's where we promote our projects. Yeah. Promote the pod. That's where we make money. It's not real life. And I agree with you. Life, for some people, it's easy all the time. Fantastic. But for most of us, most of us, It's daily work, work, work. It's daily grind, grind, grind. But they have, they look at social media and they read into that and they are sitting on their couch. Oh, it's easy for Randy because he grew up in this famous family. It's easy for Kat because she's blonde and pretty. Yeah, right. So what do you tell somebody like break the stereotype, right? Do the work. Don't sit on your couch thinking that it's easy, but people continuously do that. So if you get a client that comes and say, oh, Randy, you know, it's easy for you to say, but I don't have your money. I don't have your brains. I don't have your career. How do I get started? Is there one first easy step (laughs) to change your life? Yeah, I mean, it's such a generalized question. I think the real question is what area would you like to change first? Focus on one area mm-hmm. and then start asking how. Not, well, it's so easy for Randy or Kat. Dig deeper. Find out how they did it. Mm-hmm. What made a difference for them, right? Because maybe out of the 500 things that they did, maybe some required funds that you don't have. If that's not possible for you, okay, next step. What did they do? Well, they looked at themselves in the mirror and they said this, that, that. They went to bed every night doing this. You could do that. And just by listening and understanding that that's free. You don't need any money or fame or extra resources, but you need a willingness to start to ask what made the difference and start to see if they could do it. I have this similar equipment to do the same thing too. But what does that look like for me in my life where I'm at? And start to get a foothold one step Step at at a time. time. This doesn't just have to be for addiction. One (laughs) step, one step to better yourself 
more today than yesterday. And I'm glad you touched on the subject of money because obviously money is a very sensitive subject for most people on the planet. It's sensitive for me. For me too, by the way, pe the people that read my book, people that follow my podcast, they know I was married to a gazillionaire and it's a very long story, but when he died, I lost everything. And it happens in the United States, la, la, la. I decided I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to work again. And I'm literally at my age starting everything from scratch. So when I get these messages like, oh, she's in Beverly Hills and she's a multimillionaire again. No, I grind like there is no tomorrow. And my closest friends can attest to that. And you it doesn't matter what you do in life, you have to put in the work. Even if you are the son of a multimillionaire, right? You are proof of it. And even your sister is proof of it. I don't want to talk about her because that's a whole other show. But like you said, the, the girl's like, I want to be an actress. And the whole world falls on her head because her father is famous. So you touched on the, the let's talk about the money part. Some people send the question like, oh, I would love to work with a life coach. I would love to improve my life, but I can't afford it. Any tips for people that cannot afford working with a life coach? Absolutely. So number one, I have free trainings. Wow, really? Okay, see, there you go, guys. Sign up for my, go on my website, sign up for, you know, newsletter, contact form. I, I'll show up to my trainings free. Wow, you that's know, amazing. You know, free. I have a membership group, you know, that ranges, um, you know, it's, it's less than $100 a month. I understand it might be tight for some people, but here's the thing. When you look at, oh my gosh, I'd love to afford a, a life coach who's working with people. It's probably thousands of dollars. It's amazing how people can spend $50, oh, $80 yeah. in a month. I mean, really search right now. Some people are on a very <laughs> fixed income, but yeah. for anyone listening to this, could you afford $40 a month? If that is one of the things that's going to change your life. Yeah. To me, it's a no brainer. <laughs> it's like, we will take the car in. We will, you know, once in a while, we'll go get us coffee at Starbucks or a meal out, or we pay for things that we don't otherwise need, but a small investment that could literally change how you feel about your daily life. Yeah lead to healthier habits, lead to a career change, lead to making more money, why wouldn't you invest in that? And look, if it's not <laughs> me yeah. or anything that I offer, there's so much in there are resources out there i agree Thousands. just don't just don't send us this message oh it's easy for you to say it's not easy for anybody and i, I don't know if you ever did that but a, a big wake-up call for me guys by the way because he was saying 40 bucks 20 bucks 60 bucks when i was doing my taxes i you know how you put like all the uber eats and the the uber uber rides <laughs> coffee 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 I was like, oh my God, that was like a few thousands of dollars. I'm not kidding. It was a little over $2,000 I spent on food. And I was like, stop it. You know what I did? I deleted all the food apps. 
Yeah. I started buying coffee. It sounds ridiculous, but if you guys do that, like like you were saying, you could be paying for like a membership coaching or for a life coach or like a, a gym membership. I don't know what your biggest right. problem is, but you got to put yourself in check, right? Before you say like that everything is so expensive and out of out of reach. Absolutely. Okay, so now and, you and said... Wait, wait, wait. One, last, one last thing. Yeah. Okay. For anyone saying that it's easy, I feel and understand your struggles, but please understand, it's not like I'm above stress and it's not like in my <laughs> life I never freaked out about money. I actually, one of my Achilles heel was my relationship to money. I thought about it 14 hours a day. It haunted me. Really? It obsessed me. Mm -hmm. I thought I wasn't going to have enough. I used to drive by um, freeway underpasses and I would look at my spot that if I needed to, where I would oh sleep. Oh my God. Wow. Now, it never came to that. Yeah. Right? But what <laughs> I want to say is, you guys, we are in this together. Let's stop separating. So-and-so mm -hmm. uh, is above because they live here. They grew up like this or they have this life yeah is hard yeah life being human <laughs> is a struggle no one is above that totally. i've worked with people who have very little i've worked with people who have for me outside everything and do you know those people are just as unhappy they oh my god just yeah. as much because how they go to bed at night no matter what you know thread count the sheets are no matter what golden <laughs> guild they're still in their head yeah. looking at who they are, the choices that they've made, what they want out of life. We all struggle and we are in this together. So instead of separating, try and find the common denominator and say, how can we all lift each other up? Oh my God, 1 million percent. I love that you said that because it is so true. Plus, let's be real. If being in Hollywood, being in Beverly Hills and having millions of dollars was like the secret to happiness, everybody here would have a phenomenal life. And we all know, unfortunately, there are many tragedy, tragic right. stories, people that died here, people that killed themselves, people that got into drugs in this industry and didn't get out. Correct, Randy? Right. So, like you look at, um... It's sad, but it's true. You, you look at Anthony Bourdain, right? Like you're, Right. You're sad, oh, my God. Everything. You look at um, so many different... We watched his right? shows and we thought... I remember thinking, he has my dream life. I want right. to have his job and I want to travel the world and I want to eat good food. And many times we don't know the struggles that people have in their head, right? That's what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we have no idea. It's a projection. Yeah. But it's a false projection. It, totally. It's not accurate. Yeah, so that's the question here. Alisa Majors from Ireland. I don't know how Ireland found Karen Deleuz, but I, I have like a lot of listeners in Ireland. So hi, Ireland people. I love you guys. Uh, she said, you have two kids now. If your kids wanted to go into acting and move to Hollywood and have the life that you left behind, <laughs> what would you say and what would your wife say? Are you going to be supportive? Are you going to try to convince them otherwise? It would be a series of talks. It wouldn't <laughs> just be one. It There's would... still very little, right? Can you tell us they're, how old they are? They're little. Look, I'm always going to be supportive of what they want to do. I, I cannot forbid my children to do anything, especially if it's something that they're interested in. 
but I want them to understand the full picture of it. And I think sometimes, you know, it can be easy to go, well, follow your dreams, follow your dreams, follow your dreams, but understand the world that you're stepping into, understand how to navigate that. And I think that's the, the biggest uh, piece of advice I would have is to explain the, the world of Hollywood to them. Yeah, but what they what they have ahead of them, which is we all obviously we all know it's not easy. You people think oh, I'm gonna go to LA with a famous last name or without it, and my life is gonna be phenomenal. It's a, it's a very harsh reality, right? <laughs> it's it not is. like it that is. at all. Yeah. It's tough for everyone. Now wait, let me see the name of the person here because I promised. I'm sorry, Randy. I promised I was gonna say all the names, all the names. Corey Lewis from Miami. So Instagram, social media, it's such a huge deal now. So most people, he said, like me and my family and my daughters, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else, our bodies, our posts, our picture, our skin, our cars, la, 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 la. So that's why many times we think I am never going to be as successful, as thin, as beautiful, as rich. Yeah, I hear a lot of parents say that, oh my God, my kids are having to feel, feel this major pressure. And even adults, like they feel like I'm never going to be that good. Like you mentioned the Kardashians. I mean, these people post the most perfect scrawny bodies and these bikinis and these multi-million dollar vacations. I understand a lot of people looking at that and getting depressed, like, Jesus, I'm never going to be there. Any, any tip or advice, like how do you navigate this social media fake world? Yeah, so number one, remember what I just said. You never know how they go to bed at night and how they wake up in the morning. That, just remember that. Yeah. You, you just don't know. A picture is a snapshot. It's a one-second moment in time out of the whole day. You don't know their struggles. Number two, stop engaging. If yeah. someone, look, if I watch a horror film and I have bad dreams at night and now <laughs> I'm scared and fearful and more anxious, if I continue to watch horror films, that's on me. Yeah. I'm not telling you to completely disengage with social media. What I'm saying is if you're following someone and you're feeling bad about your life, Do you need to see what private plane they're hopping onto or where they're going in the world? Is it fulfilling your life in any way? And I think people aren't asking this question of themselves enough. Is this additive? Is it subtractive? If it's subtracting any energy, feel good. Stop following your exactly. life. Is change? And by the way, I have to say this because there's so many people with anxiety. It's, yes. it's an epidemic. You yes. know, COVID really spun people out with numbers and data and fear and headlines. If you're feeling like the world is just so crazy and too crazy and, you know, you feel that on a daily basis, same thing. Stop reading the headlines. Just disengage for a few days and see how you feel. You gather the data. If you feel better, huge answer for you. Stop <laughs> following someone for a week. Yeah. If you feel better following those people, you don't need them. My feet follow people <laughs> who are going to give you something that's needed, that's going totally. to lift you up. 
plug into positivity. Yeah. Don't plug into something that is taking away from exactly. your Exactly. I think for me, uh, and I, I and I tell my friends and my clients, this is what I do. Uh, obviously, I work. I use Instagram for work, but my feed, the people I follow, are people that inspire me. Whether it's women, coaches, whatever it is. I wake up and I want to see, read things, see photos. I see your posts every single day. God's honest through you. Very inspiring to me. Things that lift me up. And I don't compare myself to other people. I don't understand. Now, that's a question, me to you. Why do people compare themselves so much? Like my friends say, oh, her body is so thin. Oh, her, I have this thing like... I like me, I know I'm, I'm never going to be the most perfect, I'm never going to be the thinnest. Uh, when I was modeling, I was never the tallest, but, but photographers used to say to me, you are one of the most confident in front of the camera. I think what comes to me is like the reason why I'm confident is because I just do my thing. I think there is room for everybody in the world if you do your thing, instead of like comparing yourself and try to mirror somebody else and be like somebody else, you shouldn't be like somebody else. You should have people inspire you. But as a coach, why do you think, and I think women mostly, why do you think so many women out there try to compare themselves like they have to be like somebody else? Right, well, I think you said something that really nailed it. It was, there's enough to go around. I don't yeah. need to be in direct competition with that person. Like, hey, if I, I, I remember when I started life coaching and then I would feel a little bit uh, competitive and comparing to my competitors. And then at some point I realized I, I'm going to actually uh, recommend them. I'm going to go, I'm going to go out of my way if I like their work to tell people about them. And funny enough, the more I did that, the more I actually got back because it came from a pure place. Everyone has different body types. Everyone is different. Some people are literally born with different bone structure. Totally. And, you know, yeah. Some people have uh, their health conditions going on that cause things. So, But this is the world that we have grown up in. Yeah. Unfortunately. Very early age. We're constantly comparing, even when we go to school, right? You see the popular person, and as children, we compare. Why are they popular? Why am I not? They're cool. I'm not. They're skinny or pretty. I'm not. And so we draw these conclusions about ourselves. Yeah. Unfortunately, at such a instrumental age, you know, I think it's so sad to draw conclusions about oneself that people take with them for the rest of their lives. Oh my God, absolutely. But Randy, um, do you have a trick to tell people like, is there anything, and I don't know, an exercise, a trick, something that people can do, like, be, especially because of social media, stop comparing, like focus on yourself. Is there anything they can do to, to cut this habit? Start talking to yourself more out loud <laughs> i do that a lot by the way right and look look at an attribute that you have <laughs> you're comfortable with self yeah so what i find from people most often is they're talking to themselves in their head all day long mm -hmm. but the voice that's talking to them that's heckling them that's you know comparing that's making them feel bad is not even a true voice it's that conclusive voice that comes from you know 
growing up with a family of origin and things that we heard from our parents or things that we heard from teachers or things that, you know, we heard uh, in, in high school. And so if that's the voice that's in your head, it's only going to go one way. It's going to be on repeat. Start actually talking to yourself because when you talk to yourself out loud, it means that you've acknowledged the voice within and you go, Oh, Hey, (laughs) give that voice a name. Oh, hey, Sally. Oh, I see you again. Okay, I hear you. I know that you're not real. Here's what I'm going to say to you now. And say to yourself what you need to hear. You do that 100, 500, 1,000 times. That voice in your head is going to go away more and more and more. And then you're going to notice how much better you feel. Makes sense. And I think it has to do with self-love, right? I think you need to love yourself more than you love these celebrities or whoever it is that you follow on Instagram. You may admire them or get inspired by them, which we all do, but stop loving them more, thinking that their body is better than yours, their life is better than yours, right? Yeah, I think self-love is the end result. That's the self-help sort of golden goblet totally but for so many people that's that's ambiguous that's like well how great how do i love yeah. myself more so what we're talking about by changing the uh critical self-talk by focusing on one area like are you are you eating well perhaps if you change the way you're eating or maybe you need to exercise more mm-hmm. something physical that will make you feel better about yourself not just for a from a vanity standpoint because you're caring for yourself, yeah. because how you're long? loving yourself. Absolutely. So how, if somebody's doing co- life, life coaching with you for whatever reason, whatever is their problem, how long does it normally take until you actually start seeing results or feeling better? Is it a I long-term see results process? from people after one session. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I it's mean, not something, because a lot of people send this question, like, how long does it take? Is it like a long-term commitment or do if I do a few sessions? So it basically can happen right away. You can feel better so, right away. Yeah, it, it depends, right? Yeah. Like I have a membership group, like I was saying, uh-huh. that's ongoing, right? And we meet a couple times a month and there's videos that I send and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within that month, people are, are saying, wow, I, I, I feel so much better. This is changing. That's changing. Mm-hmm. For private clients, I usually work with people in six month increments uh-huh. because I really see transformation, like true transformation after six months. I just got done working with a woman. When she came to me, she thought it wasn't possible. She was skeptical she was, you know, she wanted to change some things, but she was carrying a boulder around with her of all this mm-hmm. stuff from the past. Yeah. And I kid you not, <laughs> from what she looked like and how yeah. she sounded when we first yeah. started working together, within a few sessions, I was seeing she was lighter, <laughs> brighter, the energy was coming back, she was making changes. By the end of five months, not even six, she was a completely different person. Amazing. I mean, she was dressing differently. She was smiling differently. She yeah. was talking differently. She was making different choices. She, I mean, it, it, was, it was phenomenal Fantastic. to see the transformation. Let me squeeze, oh my God, let me squeeze one more, one more, one more, because we're running one out of time. Yeah, I can't believe it. it. Okay, um, and I have that question too, but a lot of people send that question. I'm going to say one name. Paula Ming and Alexia Davis. Uh, I don't know where they're from. Sorry, guys. I'm running out of time. So that's the question. I do a podcast about sex, dating, and relationships, but I always tell people that's my opinion. If you are 
in a relationship, keep it close to your heart. Don't flaunt every second of it. So the question is, you turn on the TV, you open Instagram, you see the most famous celebrity couples in the world. Okay, maybe you don't see them having sex in bed, but you see everything else. They flaunt and flaunt and flaunt. Like, look at me, I'm kissing. Look at me, I'm on the beach. Look at me, I'm engaged. Look at me, I'm naked. Oh, he loves me, she loves me. My personal opinion is keep it a little mysterious. Keep it to yourself. You know, I think it's really bad for the relationship to put it all out there, whether you are a celebrity or not, by the way, because I see like normal couples doing that, uh, like just putting it out there as a window. What is your opinion about that? Do you think people are flaunting their, their private personal relationships out there too much? And do you think that's damaging to relationships? I think I think it can be damaging. I mean, unfortunately, we've seen this with a lot of celebrity couples is there's so much media on them and, you know, things get hard to live publicly like that. But at the same time, some of it is out there so much because they have to live and there are people photographing them. Yeah. True. I, I would just say this, right? Don't keep whatever you can sacred. Try sometimes not to document every single moment. It does take you out of the present moment. <laughs> yes. Why do we want to document everything? Exactly. We either want to do it to show other people or we do it because we want to remember it for later. Oh my gosh, the fourth birthday, I have to do that. <laughs> this, that, that. I have to capture every moment. But it does take you out of the present. So just try and do it a little bit less. And then last thing I'll say on this, I've said it, I've been pretty redundant today, but I think it's a message that really needs to hit home is even if you see a couple and they look like they're having the best sex or they're on the beach or whatever, it's a moment. You have no idea (laughs) if they're fighting. You have no idea the conversations that they're having. I know. We are making up stories and narratives and filling in the blank based off of what we're seeing. That's most of the time. Yeah. Not accurate. Yeah. So, So true. My opinion is Keep something close to your heart. Keep your private life private. If you're like in a happy relationship, if you're doing something good, I I honestly think they flaunt a little too much, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) Randy, this was so much fun. I have so many more questions for you. I hope you come back for another episode. Guys, I hope I answer as, I hope he answered as many as we possibly could. Now, where do people find all this coaching, the groups, the private coaching, everything you do on your website, correct? On my website, it's randyspelling.com and also social media on Instagram, it's randyspelling. Okay, thank you so much. You are amazing. Uh, I hope you guys follow him on Instagram. I follow every single day. I think you post every day and his insights are absolutely incredible. You are so sweet for doing this and I'm sure I'll invite you back and I hope you come back because people love you. Thank you so much. This was such a huge pleasure. Randy Spelling, this was Cat on the Loose for your Friday and I'll see you guys next week. Kisses. Have a great weekend.